the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Total Financial Hour is sponsored by TFS Financial Insurance Services and Total Financial Solutions, Inc. The information on this show is not intended to be the primary basis for investment decisions and should not be used to provide financial advice. Please obtain the guidance of a financial professional regarding your particular financial concerns. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. This program reflects the views of Arif Halabi, California Insurance License 0B93792 of TFS Financial Insurance Services. TFS Financial Insurance Services, California Insurance License Number 0F22477, provides retirement income strategy strategies using insurance and annuity products, which are guaranteed by the claims-paying ability of the issuing company. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy, learn from Arab Halabi. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now, Arif has a plan. Getting out of debt, managing money, planning for the future. This is exciting, guys, because this is your financial life. And as we get started today, we're talking about, the I, I think, issues that are really important to your financial well-being. Inflation, of course. The student loan debacle. Now, you might say, oh, Arif, what does that mean? Now, my kids have grown. We paid for college. Or they have their own student loan. Who do you think is going to pay for it? Uh, you know, you could cancel student debt. I love it when they say things are free. Free. I'm like, what are you, crazy? There's nothing free. You come outside, you could take a deep breath. That's free. The sun, yep, that's free. But if you think that you're going to get anything, quote, free, it doesn't exist. Right now, husband, wife, two kids, legal or not, in the state of California, it's right around $78,000 a year. Right? You arrive, two children, and many of these folks have more than two. Some have less, most have more. And the state of California gives you 78 plus thousand dollars per year. Now imagine the hotels across Southern California. And yes, don't tell anybody. Full of Afghan refugees. Yes, we've been smuggling them out. Yes, we have. Yeah, how much do you think they get? Thousands of dollars a month per person. Thousands. And listen, maybe we owe it to them, maybe we don't, but somebody has to pay for this, right? You you can go to your local, I won't name the chain, but they're not the least expensive where they're leaving the light on for you guys. These are hotel chains that are that are high and you know middle to, to upper end, forced, if you will, by the state and the federal government to take in refugees. And they go, listen, if I can have my hotel completely full. Now, let me share with you, because we have clients that are owners and managers of some of these. Uh, the cleanliness uh, standard, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to be kind, because that's an important thing. The cleanliness standard that they may bring with them from what they're used to is not the same as what you may be used to. I don't know how to be a little bit more delicate, but 
just understand it's not the same. Right? We actually have a washer machine to wash clothes. They think it's the bathtub, sometimes wearing them at the same time. This is just what's being communicated to me. They're not bad people, folks. I mean, how str- much of a struggle. But you realize somebody has to pay for this. They have to pay for the extra cleaning at the hotel. They've got to pay for the extra uh, education and, and bilingual in the translators. I mean, all of this is not free. Right? The government can say whatever they want. But at the end of the day, somebody has to pay for this. Student loan debt, I love that. That's exciting. Oh, yeah, we're going to cancel student loan debt. For what? Because their parents chose to buy a boat or take a vacation? Not all of them. Many of them. And they said, sorry, Junior, you're on your own. So Junior goes out and (laughs) takes quite a bit of student loan debt and something completely irrelevant. In other words, they forgot to check, oh, by the way, there's nobody who wants to pay me anything for this kind of a degree. And what ends up happening? Well, guess who gets to pay that? That's you. It's you, the taxpayer. You see, because if you're poor, let's call it just no money in your pocket, then nobody's going to go after you for, for any big taxes. They do, right? The, the, the gasoline increase, okay, that's a tax on poor and middle class. The sales tax, the property tax, the rent increases, that's a tax, if you will, on middle class. It leaves your pocket, goes to them. But when it comes to something like this entirety of inflation where the student loan debt is coming down the road, here's my my proposal. Because maybe you can't stop the train, but maybe you can divert it. My proposal is this. For every school that was foolish enough to allow this young person to borrow money and take take classes and get a degree, no problem. For every $1 that the federal government is going to forgive, then the school has to give in $3. Because... You gave us a product that stinks. You gave us a product that does nothing. Zero. I make no money. Right? You get a job in something uh, silly. And then what ends up happening is you're stuck paying the bill. And we end up trying to, we end up paying for it. Because when we spend money giving them back to colleges and universities, it goes in the pockets of the administrators. Yeah. Two, three, four hundred thousand dollars a year, car allowances, housing allowances. So the two hundred plus thousand that goes in their pocket, that's cash money. Imagine if you made that and didn't have to pay for a car or housing or utilities. And you could eat food on campus for free. What would you do with really net two hundred thousand plus dollars in your pocket? I'm thinking you might have a little bit of a better life, wouldn't you? Well, the college administrator thinks so. Well, now it's time for them to pay the piper. They have to go and, and, and give in money. So that would be my, if you can't stop the train, you do a bit of a keto and you kind of push it to the left or right and you say, that's fine, we'll forgive it, but the colleges and universities have to put in $3. And from now on going forward, if you have such an amazing degree, oh my gosh, you have the best professors and educators in the campus, the environment, the student body, oh my word, you are amazing. You need to guarantee it. You do. Why would I buy a $75,000 car and then say, well, it kind of doesn't work? Eh, It kind of doesn't work sometimes. Uh, You know, listen, it looks great on the outside, but it just doesn't drive. So when you sit in the driveway, man, that radio, you you can play the radio. We have a great stereo system in that fancy new car for 75. 
you would take it back. You would say it's a defective vehicle. Right? You would say, sorry, it didn't do what it was supposed to. I bought something and I didn't receive it. That's what I would do. I'd say college, university, it's time to make a change. You're now a partner in this game. You've been, it's been a one-way street. You've been delivering a so-so product, passing the risk and responsibility on to the young 18, 19-year-old who thinks they know it all. I'm a 19-year-old. Oh, you, you got it. Look how smart I am. I just signed my name to $20,000 in debt, right? Come on. And then you guys require for the rest of them their lives to make payments back. And that's what happens. You might say, listen, after, after the age of 25, if you're not done with your school, the responsibility is now yours, right? I'm okay with some of these rules. You don't like playing these rules. You don't want to play this game. I'll tell you what you do. We take a step back and you pay for it yourself. Then you can do whatever you want. You can stay in school forever. I had a family member who stayed in school till he was 36 years old. Yeah. Two bachelors, two masters, and a PhD. That was exciting. Can you say student loan debt? Well, what also happens along the way in the PhD, well, I get my PhD for free. I just heard this the other day. Yeah, they're paying for me to have my student debt, uh, sorry, my um, PhD. I have no student debt. Right? Why? Well, because they... They want that guy to come and say, listen, your field of study, you were educated at this university. So keep this in mind, guys. These things like student loan debt, like this, uh, this, this change, it's going to impact you. The free stuff we give refugees, as, as much as they're amazing people and they're life-changing, and I get it. But one plus one is still two. It doesn't matter how much I love your children or how beautiful you are or, or how much of an amazing person you are, but one plus one is two. And that leads us to this next portion that I think is going to be kind of sad. Social security. You see, today, well, maybe in the last day or so, let's see the date. Yeah, today, social security says, hey, by the way, guys, we think um, the go broke date has been pushed back a little bit. Right, what's... It, now, let's be clear. Social Security is not going to go broke. It doesn't say, and Mary Sue in Des Moines, Iowa, got the last check from Social Security. We love it. Hope you spend it well. Happy retirement, Mary Sue. <laughs> That's not going to happen. The way Social Security is set up, they tax what's called, un, uh, sorry, they tax earned income. When they tax earned income, that means you went to work. You're an employee or you own an S-Corp or an LLC and you are p taking money out in the form of an employee. When you take those dollars out, there's a payroll tax that's assessed. Employer and employee. Employer pays in California 7.625. Employee in California pays 7.625. So whether you pay any income tax or not, that any employee, the $10, $15, $20 an hour, minimum wage worker, uh, waitress, it doesn't matter. They all pay 15.63 between them and their employer goes directly to the state and federal government for pseudo, FUDA, which is federal disability, dis, uh, social security, on and on. So those dollars that are taken out are put into a big bucket. So when you have earned income and these dollars go into a bucket, 
They're designed to pay via an annuity, just so you know. Up here, I hate annuities, but I love Social Security. You can't do that. Give your Social Security check back. Social Security is an annuity. You're putting it in the front end for the hopes that someday you're going to take it out on the back end. Well, that's exactly what happens. Social Security has a system or a formula based on your age. Remember that? What was your age? Well, it's going to be age 62. Then I can start taking it out, but I'm going to get less. Then I could take out my regular retirement age was age 65. And then they're not going to pay me anything more after age 70. It stops growing. All right. Then people got a little older. They started moving those dates around to 66 and 67. So with this go broke date, here's why I think they're not telling you the truth. Yeah, I'm going to call them. Somebody. Uh, let's see who I, Social Security Administrator, a liar. I love it. People, people will say, well, you know, he, he plays loose and fast. Mm-hmm. Loose and fast with the truth. Uh, he's not completely, um, fully disclosing. Okay, here you go. I got it. He's a liar. Yeah. What are they saying? Oh, Social Security's not going to go broke until 2034 and still 2033 instead of 2033. Baloney. It's going to be 2032. Here's why. We spent two years paying people through a different channel, not through the earned income channel, but through the unearned income channel. That means for two years, people were taking out of Social Security and not putting in to Social Security. So what used to be a 2033 date, which is what they told us a few years ago, And I'll tell you what that means, go broke in a minute. It doesn't mean going broke. What used to be 2033, they're saying is now 2034, not true. You can't. It's a math problem, you guys. At the age of 62, you can still take out money. Guess what happened to people that were 63, 4, 5, or 62, 3, 4, 5? COVID strikes, the reaction to COVID hits, starts shutting down businesses, people... They're scared, right? Maybe they're a little chubby. Maybe they got diabetes. They got two, three, four comorbidities and they say, uh, I'm going to quit. I'm going to start my social security. So they do. People that had no intention of starting social security. And might I say thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people over the course of those two and a half, three years turned on social security that had planned on waiting longer, which meant they were going to put in more and take out less because they weren't going to take out for a while, another two years, three years, four years. So when you have this this, uh, being hit on both ends, nobody's putting into it. And people that didn't plan on taking it out now have actually said, well, I need an extra source of income. I can't work overtime or I can't do other things. So give me a check. So they do. So what does that do to you? I think Social Security, quote, will go broke by 2032. In fact, if I would not be surprised if in the next three years or so, they move that date even closer. Here's why. Because I just laid out people weren't putting into Social Security. Here's the other problem. The highest pay increase in a very long time to Social Security checks just occurred. That means in 2022, because of Biden's inflation, because of the way that he structured the economy to purposely, listen, I just thought he was incompetent and asleep. I'm telling you now, they are purposely 
destroying the United States economy. You cannot be making these decisions and think that there's anything other than destruction and I, I don't know. Uh, can I be softer? Maybe. Maybe I could be kinder. I, I don't know. But the destruction of the U.S. economy, the way we eat, sleep, and drink, the transfer of wealth and power to China and to Russia and to the Middle East, frankly, guys. Right? Saudi Arabia doesn't have the same OSHA requirements, environmental concerns, nor does China. And so when they purposely destroy the system, I think there's going to be less jobs going forward. Why, today, people still aren't going to work. Look at the help wanted signs. Remember, who pays into the social security system? That's right, everybody. Not just the wealthy and not just the middle class. Everybody. Including the people at the fast food restaurant that work there, who, by the way, just shut down because there aren't enough employees. Have you seen that? Sorry, we're not open for, for lunch anymore, only for dinner. Because we don't have the employees. Those are the people that are supposed to put in to the system and not take out from the system for 50 or 60 years, 20 years, 40 years, 30 years, decades. And we removed those people from putting into the system. Why do you think they are raising minimum wage? To raise minimum wage means the money that would go into the system, because remember, it's all taxed as a, as a component of how much money you make. They raise minimum wage. Those are the people that put into the social security system. I'm not saying these are bad or good ideas. I think that's actually a good idea is to uh, increase the, the amount that comes out. My problem is in the social security world, they're incompetent. They mismanage it. It's a bloated system like the IRS and, and like the federal government in general. So the answer is not giving them more money. The answer for you is taking your own responsibility for your own care, financially speaking. All right, so what does this go broke thing mean? Here's what it does. The go broke system means there's 70%. That's about what they're thinking, by the way. That in 2034, 2033, There'll be about 70, 65, 70% of what is needed. So they don't run out of money. They're still collecting money. But instead of saying, oh, here's your $2,000 check, they're going to say, sorry, we can't afford your $2,000, but we will give you $1,400. So you see, that is what is happening to Social Security. Not the fact that it's going to be and Mary Sue gets the last check. No, no. It's the fact that here is a reduction in what you thought was coming down the road and they will reduce the payment. Now, how can they fix this? Instead of that 70% you know, payment, how do they fix it? Well, they can do a couple of things. One is they're going to have to raise payroll tax on everybody. They, they have to. Maybe a little bit. But you know what you have to do, I think? On people like me and maybe you that make more than a certain amount, yeah, we're going to have to pay more. Knowing we are never going to get it back. Never. You have to live to 105 or something like that. I don't know. It's just, it's designed for me and you, others that are making a little bit more money who will never get the full social security benefits out because we're younger or just the formula doesn't work. 
And here's what they will do. They're going to say something like, well, we owe you $3,000 ARIF, but because you have a pension or you have income or you have retirement accounts, we're only going to give you 75% of that or 80% of that. It's called a means test. I think they're going to do that. But how you can fix it? You tax Social Security wages all the way up the food chain to 200, 300, 400,000, whatever people are earning. And just so you know, the, in, the, the payroll tax on $200,000 earner is more than a guy who works at a fast food restaurant who makes 25000 a year. So that means the, the raw dollars, the actual dollars that go into the Social Security system is going to be much higher. It is. It's going to be huge. It's going to be much higher. So you have to ask yourself, how do we want to solve this? Well, those are the two sides. The other side of the equation, tell the government to keep their hands off of it. You see, in 1994, when the Newt Gingrich and Bill Clinton uh, strategy came about, right, the, the Republican wave and welfare reform and all of that, part of it was, and we had a balanced budget. And listen, both of them say this. Both of them are dishonest in this area. Period. I mean, here, I'll tell you and you can decide if you think they're dishonest. You ready? Let's play a little game. You have a home that's wonderful, beautiful house, by the way, and it's paid off. But you happen to have two cars, an RV, some student loan debt from way back when, some credit card debt, and you refinance your house that was that you owed nothing on before. And you take that asset and you encumber it, meaning you, you add some weight to it, some financial responsibility to that house, but you got a check that paid off your car, your boat, uh, your student loan debt, your credit cards. You are debt-free, aren't you? Mm, no, you're not. You moved it from the left pocket to the right pocket. Why does this make a big difference? It's very simple. Because what the government did, it's the same thing in the state of California, I'll get to in a minute. What the government did in 1994 when they, quote, had a balanced budget amendment, we passed the balanced budget, we don't need an amendment. No, here's what they did. They took money that was sitting in Social Security. It was a huge bucket, by the way, lots of money. And they borrowed from it. And they replaced it with IOUs. But every year money would come in they would pay off everybody that was owed in Social Security. Whatever was left, the government would put in an IOU and borrow the money out. So instead of not spending money they didn't have, they kept this ongoing stream, this never-ending tale of just continuing to spend. It would be like you saying, oh, look, my home. My home's gone up in equity. Hi, can I have another cash out, please? And then eventually the day comes where you can't afford the payments on your debt. Surprise, that's right about now. Surprise, if interest rates get above 25 3.5% for very long, the interest on the national debt is greater than what we make as a nation. That could happen real soon. So that means you are just working to pay the interest. You can't even pay the workers or expand or improve or anything. You're stuck. So how they're going to solve Social Security is stop touching it. Stop these crazy spending programs, run across the board, and listen, some of you are government workers and I appreciate you and, and what you do. But I want you to leave you with this here as I, as I come up on the break. 
I think we need to go to all government employees and take a 10% pay cut. Oops, don't get mad at me. We do. We have to say everybody who, who works for the government, you have a, you've had it great. You've got an amazing pension, city, state, county, federal government. We need to cut your pay by 10%. We need to start accelerating the debt payoff of the city, state, county, and the federal. And if we do that, and we reform the social security system, this is not that difficult to fix. It's math and logic, you guys. When we come back, I'm going to get into some more solutions on how to fix the system so it doesn't affect you when it comes to your retirement life. Because this is a big deal, guys. This is your financial life. If you're listening, you're probably the one with money, <laughs> which means you're the one they're going to tax. We'll be right back. I'm Eric Hallaby, 888-99-RETIRE, 888-997-3847. We'll talk to you in just a minute. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Hey, welcome back. Thanks for staying with me. I don't know if you have the number. 888-99-RETIRE. It's 888-997-3847. 888-99-RETIRE on AM870, The Answer. I'm Eric Hallaby. Listen, we're talking about your family's finances, always getting out of debt, managing money. We talk about almost everything financial speaking. Uh, I guess 27 years or so in the industry as a licensed professional and 10 years uh, prior to that as a trader and investor. So it's really kind of given me the experience to look in and say, you know, what do I think works and doesn't work? What's common sense and what isn't? Uh, from a financial standpoint, in the middle of that whole thing, I was a Los Angeles policeman. Some of you know that. Yep, 10 years, seven months, and three days. I wasn't really counting, but it was something like that <laughs> until somebody decided to uh, have some drinks, run a stop sign, and crash into my police car. After uh, multiple surgeries, uh, I was pensioned and retired off. Um, back surgeries, knee surgeries, all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, and during that period of time, I got scammed. They took most of my money, uh, three different financial uh, transactions, if you will. And over the course of probably six or eight months of recovery, and uh, remember, I, policeman carried a gun. <laughs> financial guy, I, was sm- I wasn't a, a licensed person at the time. I was an investor and a trader, so I thought I was pretty smart. And what was the impetus of me getting licensed and becoming a professional was when I got ripped off, right? I carried a gun. I thought I was smart guy. I thought these people would have some sort of fear about ripping off a cop. Nope. Not at all. So I thought, well, shoot, I better go back to school. I got to figure this out. So that's what happened. Went back to school, spent some time trying to figure out uh, what the financial world was all about. And that was, uh, well, I finished school probably 26, 27 years ago. So the concept of understanding this from both a practical standpoint and you know the numbers, Social Security is a great system. It was designed to be great. It was designed to be a good system. It was designed to give you really no more than about one-third of your monthly income. And ready for this? It was only designed to keep you from living on the street. It wasn't designed for you and your wife or husband to move somewhere and live on it as your sole source of revenue. It doesn't make sense. There isn't enough money for that. Now, you can ultimately do that by being smart with your money, by paying off your debts, by moving to a lower, by, by having higher wage income jobs so you're each are making you know, 2800 3500 a month in Social Security checks. 
So now you have six, $7,000 a month in Social Security. You move from high-cost area to low-cost area. You've heard me in, in past shows talk about people moving to Portugal and Ecuador and Mexico, Costa Rica. A lot of Canadians and Australians and South Africans and Brit, Brits, they move out of their countries. They take their high income with them, their high wages with them, their Social Security with them, and they move and live a wonderful life. They live in, you know, enclaves, if you will. It's called an expat community. Expat, P-A-T, like expatriate, but an expat community. It's just a, a term for folks that used to live somewhere else. Now, they maintain American citizenship. So Social Security can still be direct deposited into their you know, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, whatever, their credit union account. It just goes right in there. And when you are in one of these other countries, remember, countries like Belize and Ecuador and Panama, they use the American dollar. They do not have a national currency of their own. You understand that? They don't have like the Panamanian uh, peso or anything. It's, an, it's Panamanian dollars, U.S. dollars. So you have the Panamanian dollars, Ecuador, Belize, and many other countries. As they do that, and you're paid in American dollars, if you live in the outskirts, even if you live in the big cities, it's certainly less than living in you know, New York or San Francisco if you like that kind of environment. But most people will live in the, the outskirts, smaller towns, jungles, uh, right on the water, whatever it is. But you can live like a king and queen there or a queen and queen in some cases because many of you will retire and find places that you like to live. You'll live with friends or families or partners. And it's a, listen, it's different. But from a financial standpoint, especially if you rent out your home in California and you're collecting revenue, right? you can collect rents. You still maintain your house. You have a little bit of profit, maybe a lot. So I want you to consider multiple things. Social security, I think, is going to be impacted. They say, oh, it's only going to affect the younger generation, the people that are currently retired. Well, yeah, because when you're currently retired, we expected you to die at 68, right? Social security didn't expect you to live into your 70s and 80s and 80s and 90s. Or the queen, what is she, 96 or something, right? People weren't supposed to live that long. If I was king for a day and I didn't care if you liked me or didn't, kind of like Biden, if I, if I was king for a day, here's what I would do. I'd say, okay, Social Security cannot start it until age 65. And at that time, it's 50% of whatever you're supposed to get. And the top out number, the, the big, big number is age 75. So if you want the big number, you have to wait till age 75. Now, most people aren't. They're going to want it. You can have a retirement account. And you can save forever, kind of like what Trump did with the, one of the tax uh, secure acts. He put it so that you can continue to contribute even after age 70. Prior to that, you weren't able to. Well, now you can. So, And I wouldn't make you required to start taking money out of your retirement account until age 75. So if I was king for a day, that's what I would do to make it all work. And the reason is because I think mathematically... There are enough people through the mortality, right, who pass away earlier, through the mortality system that are going to pass and not touch Social Security. That's the way it's always been, by the way, just so you know. They put Social Security age at age 65 knowing that many, many people were never going to make it there. 
and the government was going to collect the money from their working years and never have to pay it out. Right? Kind of like the mafia, right? We're collected and it comes in one way it doesn't go out the back door. So keep this in mind. It, it, it's no different. But if you're living in this life and you start to think, oh, well, I deserve, I need, I deserve, you know who I am. Well, fine. Then there's nothing I can do for you. You just sit there. The Titanic is sinking and dang it. You do have a first class seat. But you realize when that ship went down, the poor people, the working people, the rich people, the, 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 the folks in the suites and penthouses, they all went down too. Now, I get it. The lifeboats, you know, they pushed out the poor people. I understood that. Yep. Yep. I saw that. I saw that the rich people, you know, got priority in boarding on the, the escape uh, vessels, right? The little tenders. Yep. I saw that. We'll use that as a metaphor to life. Do you think at the end of the story, rich people are not going to be the ones that still come out smelling like a rose? So please, get involved in understanding this. If you are retired, you need to be that person who gets involved. You've heard me say this many times before. If you are not involved in the, in the story, then you're part of the problem. You have to be involved. I don't care if you hold a sign on, uh, you know, on the street corner for the candidate. Uh, Run for school board. You don't have to run for 50 years. Just run for once or twice. Change things. Get in there. Understand things. Especially if you were of a smarter ilk, right? I'm not saying all of us would be great school board people but uh, or, or city councilmen or women, but some of you were attorneys or architects or CPAs. You had a methodical way of thinking, you know, strategy and linear thinking as well as the, the ability to think outside the box. You guys, you ladies, you need to be on the school boards. Because conservatives that think that can make an argument are needed. You have to. You see, the left figured this out a long time ago. What they figured out was if they can control the kids, then they can control your retirement. Not today, but in 20, 30, 40, 50 years. You see, our job as a firm is to make sure you have what's called reliable retirement income, something that no government agency, something that no um, school board, something that nobody in between can go and take from you. Right? This is your retirement income. I want you to have income that never goes away. It goes up when the market goes up. You have guarantees built in. You have backup plan A, backup plan B, maybe C. So that if the real estate market goes down and you have rental properties or or Social Security, they say, sorry, we're going to cut it back 10%. Or the pension says, we're no longer going to give you a pay raise because we can't afford it. So it's going to stay the same number even though inflation is growing. Even if all of that starts to happen, that's mere blip on the radar of your financial life. You go, boop, oh, how about that? Hey, Arif, uh, this just happened. Great. Activate income source number six. Boom, we turn it on. June 11th, guys, we have a, a great movie. June 11th on uh, in the morning. It's a Saturday morning out in Newhall, Santa Clarita. I know it's in the North County. Not easy for everybody to get there. But based on the response, this is our third one, and we're we're almost sold out. I'd love to have somebody. We may have to go to a larger theater if we can do that. We get enough folks. But I want you to, to come to, it's called The Baby Boomer Dilemma. Baby Boomer Dilemma. 888 retire That's our office number. Tell them you want to attend uh, that movie and, and we'll 
we'll uh, sign you up for that. It's June 11th. I think it's at 9 a.m. You want to be there right around 9, 9.30. It's in the morning. You're done. I, I think this, uh, we're starting the show at 10 a.m., but you want to get there a little early to get a good seat. We're going to provide popcorn and drinks, and we paid for the theater. I want you to learn about what's changing. It's not just me saying it on a, on a radio show. It's going to be experts. We have, well, if you listened to our show last week, our second hour, we had Tom Hegna, who happened to have a little bit to do with the movie. I think he just started in the, maybe uh, featured with maybe three or four cameos. But the important part is to realize there are Nobel Prize econo- uh, economists. There are uh, former treasury secretaries and, and Wharton School of Business professors, the guy that invented the 401k. These are the people that are going to tell you what they see happening with the current and future system and how you can protect it. It's not difficult. It's just necessary. It's not comfortable, but it's life-changing. Just making a few changes. Now, one of the things that I also wanted to touch on a little bit here before the top of the hour, I have some amazing, what I think are amazing emails to share with you. It is something, remember, I share with you, we get a lot of emails. I love hearing your emails, by the way, guys. Please send them to Arif, a, at, uh, <laughs> Arif, A-R-I-F, so Arif at TFSWealth.com. It's TFS, stands for Total Financial Solution. You're going to use the initials, TFSWealth.com. So Arif at TFSWealth.com. What I'll do with that is, uh, you, you send the emails. I want you to make sure you include your age. Tell me the story as much as you can. I'll, I'll condense it for the radio. Sometimes I can condense it a lot. Sometimes just a, enough to make it work. And if it's something that I'm seeing more and more of, I might hold it for a week or two. But if it's something that I'm seeing, gosh, this tends to be a trend, then you'll hear it right here on the radio because I think it'll solve a lot of your problems. Anyway, uh, after the top of the hour in our second hour, I have some amazing uh, emails to share with you and what the big differences are uh, because this is a big, big uh, change. So as I was saying, one of the big stories going forward, as we know, because the, the election season is coming, the left wants to keep you scared. There always has to be a crisis. Even when things were great, even when gas was less than half of the price, even when uh, taxes were low, even when the economy was great and soldiers were coming home and and we had less uh, war entanglements, and the United States kept everybody at bay, right? The Trump administration. Shortly after 9-11 under the Bush administration, right? The respect, the position that they think the United States should be is different than what a lot of these other lefty politicians believe. They, they don't like us. They think we need to be put it, they, they think it's an unfair advantage. Maybe that's the term, I don't know. They like the word fair anyway, so maybe that's the reason. But the biggest scare, the next thing, you're going to see it. They're going to see show pictures and on and on. It's the drought, water. Is it legitimate? Well, yeah, I've seen Lake Mead. I've seen that it's drawn down to zero, you know. Dead bodies and barrels and cars and other things are floating in some of these lakes and rivers. I get it. So how do we solve that problem? And why does that matter to you? Because no matter what the solution is, the left is going to need to take money from you. They're going to tax you to pay for it, whatever the solution. They want you to live a a lower lifestyle. That's why you drive these little tin can cars, right, with two seats. (laughs) Some of these cars I look at go, where's the rest of it? I can put that in the back of my my truck. 
Where's the rest of your little car? Right? They, they want the big Suburbans that are blacked out with another driver. They want the security guards carrying guns that are with them and their security personnel in their buildings. And they want the front, front security guy like Nancy Pelosi's house, right? Try to be a homeless guy on her front lawn. See how far that gets you. But she doesn't mind that they're on yours. Right? So the left operates in this, we have to punish you. There's a, there's a class system. And it isn't your effort your education, your background, your tenacity. It's none of that that decides your future. It's your race. And you can go back to four years ago, five years ago when they started this, everybody's a racist story. You're a racist, you're a racist, you're a racist. I said, what, what did I say was going to happen? You can pull it. I said, what's going to happen is the word racist will have zero meaning after a while. It's going to be irrelevant. It's like calling, oh, it's a, it's a good day outside. Well, I don't know what that means, but okay, it's a good day. Is it uh, hot or cold? Do I like it when it's rainy? Whatever it is, I call it good. And everybody goes, oh, it's good, good, good. Yeah, 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 good. But now everybody's a racist. So they had to up the ante. That's why everybody's a white supremacist. Remember, they took a picture of Larry Elder. They said, the new face of white supremacy. I'm like, really? Or what was it? The black face of white supremacy. (laughs) You thought, how how does anybody with a third grade education think this is okay? How does not, how does anybody who, who look at this and say, you're full of baloney, right? They, they call people Uncle Tom and they go through this whole story of putting you down if you're not white or th- with uh, regrets and white with guilt. It's incredible. And now they're doing it with water because guess who gets to suffer the most in water? Oh, it's going to be the poor people and the minorities. They're going to make that argument if they haven't already. White supremacy and the drought is because of white supremacy. You'll see it. But here, let me tell you the facts. Last week, I said it. You, you kind of heard it. Last week, it was pretty clear. We went over and over about how many billions, with a B, billions of gallons of water per hour. Yeah, billions of gallons of water per hour go out of the Sacramento River Delta. Sacramento River, middle of the state. Goes out to the ocean. Fresh water goes into the salt water. And instead of using that water like we did for decades to water the vegetables in the Central Valley, Fresno, Visalia, Dinuba, right, Reedley, Bakersfield, all that area, they, they have to water the vegetables. So we would use that water as part of that watering system. And when that took place, the groundwater that, that naturally occurs was used for our drinking. And if it wasn't enough than we would use from the Colorado River. Well, why do you see the Colorado River, Lake Mead, uh, Mono Lake, on and on? Why do you see those places, you know, reduced? Well, it's very simple. Because they took that water from the, from the Sacramento River Delta and just let it go out to sea. And the vegetables needed to be watered. The fruit trees needed to be watered. So they used the groundwater. And then we as people said, well, well we need to drink water. Where are we going to get our water from? Oh, take it from the Colorado River. Take more. Take more. And yes, it's true. We haven't had consistently great rain, but a couple years ago, we had amazing rain. We filled up reservoirs. We filled up, uh, snowpack was bigger than the average, 2018, 19, right? We had huge surplus there for a while. And then it rains. And the city of Los Angeles, the county of LA, the Southern California water whatever district lets it all run out to sea, out to Long Beach through these concrete-filled 
riverbeds. Instead of allowing the water to sink in, they run out these washes out to sea. Right, because normally what happened historically is water would, that was the normal path for water, by the way. Historically, it, it did that. So what we did is we came along as people in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and we put cement. Instead of thinking, well, this water's job is to replenish the water table inside of the earth so we can pump it up later, they just let it run out to sea. Now, I get it. If you want to put concrete on the sides so it doesn't cave in, I'm with you. But you have to let the water settle in the bottom, and go and and drip down into the water table. And then it goes and and becomes part of our drinking water weeks, months, years later. But instead of fixing that mess, we let it go out to sea. Now, granted, what do we get water uh, rain 10 times a year, 15 times a year? They've already taxed you on that. (laughs) They have water runoff tax. That's great. Water runoff tax. And it rains 10 times a year. Well, why don't you just fix those rivers? Oh, I got an idea. Find some places. Ready for this? I know this is going to sound wacky. Where you can actually store the water. So what we're not doing is we're not attacking the real issues. Because they cover it up with white supremacy and with the environment. If any of you are in your 50s or 60s, you remember in the 70s, in elementary high school, if you grew up in Southern California or the San Fernando Valley, do you remember those red flag alerts? Remember the smog alerts where you couldn't play outside? You had to instead go inside and, and play games in the, uh, during lunch? And you couldn't run outside? They would, they would tell you, you, you could <laughs> during recess you had to go get your snacks and come back? How many of those do we have today? None. Zero. Unless there's a fire somewhere. So when you say that we have clean air, clean water, we've been doing it for 40 years. It's over. We took care of it. Now, we want to maintain it. That's why we don't have leaded gasoline anymore. That's why we have catalytic converters. That's why diesels have def, uh, diesel exhaust fluid. Right. That's why there's mechanisms in place and have been in place to keep our air clean, even when there's two and three times the amount of people driving on the roads. So when you have that many people, what is the solution to the water problem? It is very simple. We have mountains that run up and down the state. You can't tell me that we can't find a way to create a reservoir or 10, at least in Southern California. Take San Jose and go south. Right, Maybe, I don't know, Santa Barbara County and go south. There are reservoirs. There's Lake Kachuma and, and there's all these reservoirs. Create a pipeline system instead of this phony game sending it up north with a train. Create a pipeline system that during the evening the three gas generators that the Department of Water and Power, LA City, has or is in the middle of dismantling because they use natural gas. These are brand new components. If you live in DWP territory, you ought to be really pissed off about this, to be frank. Because you paid for it. The natural gas is the least expensive way. We have over 500 years of natural gas. We can create enough electricity to desalinization, to, to pump water uphill 
in the evening. You can create this the, the power system, the grid that we need to fill the reservoirs when times are good. We have the, the, the technology. We have the place. We have the equipment. So why won't they do it? Because the left operates off of fear. You have to always be afraid that the next shoe is going to drop. You have to walk around in this heightened sense of anxiety and at any minute things can go south. It's their only power. Because they don't have power in ideas. Not anymore. They used to. Not anymore. Because we have basically equal rights. Right? Try to be a politician and say something racist. You're done in 15 minutes. And that's only because it took them 10 minutes to create the craft the, the, the email or the response. Right? The racial equality story is about done. The, the, the sex equality, right? Men and women, about done. We've done a survey around half of my clients where men and women work. Half of the clients that come to me, the lady makes more money than the husband. Half. That changed a little bit recently. It used to be 72%. Right now we're right around 53%. We track this stuff. Now, maybe there's a, there's a default that's happening on the other side because I'm a financial guy, so only the wealthier middle class, you know, more well-to-do come to me. Not necessarily. We take $20,000 as a, it doesn't matter. As long as it's $20,000, we'll open an account for you. But nonetheless, if you have that many people coming through my doors and half of them, women, are making as much or making more money than the man, maybe something is about equal now. We can strive to get better. I get it. We can always do that. But my point is, when we solved all the problems that the left took as a, uh, you know, as a standard bearer for their existence, now they have to create them. And you f- purposely create a water crisis by not addressing what needs to be addressed. That's the way they do it. Stay with me. I've got some emails at the top of the hour. Air of Hallaby. That's who I am. Arif Halaby at the Total Financial Hour. TFSWealth.com. That's our email. Arif at TFSWealth.com. Stay with me. We'll be back in just a minute on the Total Financial Hour. This is AM870, The Answer. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the Total Financial Hour. Strategy. Learn from Arab Halaby. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now Arab has a plan for me. Higher income strategy. Alright, welcome back. Thanks for staying with me. I'm Arab Halaby, the total financial hour. Your family finances, getting out of debt. This is us trying to make a difference. I love your emails, by the way, because as your emails come in, uh, you know, I kind of sort them and say, how many of these are, are other issues or questions or stories? How many other times have I heard this in the last few weeks or months? Uh, and it really makes a difference. And this particular email I want to get to here in just a second. Uh, it, I'm starting to see this happen more and more, and I'm going to give you some reasons why. Okay, so part of my job is to kind of go through this with you. Now, I understand something. It doesn't matter how long you've been married. For me, I'm coming up on uh, 30, uh, 31 years of marriage. Okay, it doesn't matter how long. You still need to treat your wife with respect. You still need to treat your husband with respect. 
you still need to make sure that as a husband, right, as a man, I'm going to get into this a little bit here, a little relationship thing, because I think it matters, right? Men are generally more physical. That's how we feel love. We feel connected to our spouse. It's a physical uh, experience. With women, it's an emotional usually verbal. I have to sit there and I have to sit there. You see what I did? Uh, I need to sit there and listen to her. It's part of that emotional connection. I need to feel like we're having a conversation. We need to be connected, not distracted. Okay. Those things are both in each other's mind considered what it takes to, to have a good relationship, right? We have to be connected. We have to have conversation. We have to have a, a level of intimacy. All of those things work together. And part of that conversation that we should have with each other is when and if and how we're going to retire, what those expectations are. So what I'm seeing more and more are the, the expectations of the working spouse, the, the nonstop working spouse. Traditionally, guys, I'm going to say that it's us, it's the man, but often it's, it's ladies as well. It, it can be both. But I would tell you that my wife is, a, is and was a much better mother than I ever could even think about being. I mean, I don't know what happened. I married this, or I started dating rather, this 19-year-old girl. I was 21. We didn't marry for a couple of years after that and then had kids four years later. But ultimately, I didn't look at her when she was 19 or 20 years old and how cute she was and say, oh, I can't, she's going to be a great mom someday. That, that's not the first attraction for a 20-year-old guy, right? It's, it's, wow, look how cute she is. Oh, look how funny she is. Oh, she smiles. But something happened five, six, seven years later when we had our, our first son, we, we went, I, I thought, oh my gosh, I don't know. Is she going to be a good mom? This is my, this is the most important thing in the world to me. And yes, I get four weeks off of work because I took my vacation, but ultimately I had to go back to work. And is she going to care for him? Is she a good mom? Is she going to be patient and kind? And I'm, I don't know. And sure enough, she was an amazing mom. Okay, I share that with you because ladies on your side of the table, you say, I'm going to make a choice or we're going to make a choice together that I'm going to stay home and my husband needs to go to work and provide. Oh my gosh, is he going to be a good provider? Is he going to be ambitious? Is he going to cheat and lie at work so he's going to get fired over and over again? Is he somebody who's going to promote? Is he going to work hard? Is he going to learn to get along with others? Is he going to manage our money properly? Maybe he does half, she does half. I don't know. Right, You work together. Somebody's got to manage the household. You might ask yourself, I manage the household, but, but the money has to come in. And if the man doesn't work, remember, I'm using a traditional, you can replace whatever you want. So if, she, if my wife was raising our, our kids, ultimately we had three children. She didn't know if I was going to be a hardworking and an honorable guy. And I mean, she thinks so. But again, she's 19, I'm 20. You don't say, oh, that guy's a hardworking guy. He's going to be hardworking for the next 40 years. You, do, you don't know that. Now, we had a faith, and our trust was in God, the promises of Christ, the responsibility we have as a married couple. That's us. You guys can be different. But what it does do is it puts a little bit of uncertainty in that age 20, 30, 40 years old right? 50 years old. Nobody knows for sure if at the end of the story, the guy did the right thing back then. Did he save in a retirement account? Because who helps you select what mutual funds in your 401k? Let's be honest about this. Come on. Your, your financial advisor at 
Fidelity or Vanguard or Voya or whichever company, none of them are bad, but they have zero job. It is not their job to pick the mutual fund, stocks, bonds, whatever, that are right for you in your 401k plan. That's not their job. So whose job is it? Well, well, you're like, but I'm a good engineer. I'm a, I'm a physician. I, I, I'm a city worker, county worker. I, I, I don't know. Is it my job? Well, because of all the lawsuits, everybody sued for, you told me to put it in pork bellies and pets.com and both of them went under and I lost everything. So now companies say, we're not getting involved. So what do you do? Well, if you guess right, you win. Surprise, you're 60, 62, 65. Whew, look at that. For the last 40 years, I was raising kids. I managed the house and my husband, he did an amazing job at our retirement accounts. Or together we figured out this part, but he, boy, he worked hard and put money into that account. Let us have extra dollars so we could increase the contribution in our retirement account. He's an amazing guy. You're hoping, but what happens? You get to the age of 55, 60, 65, 70, and you go, surprise, let's open the box and see, did he actually do well? Because that happens. So this is, the, this is the yucky part. Some of you might not like me. You like me now, but you may not in a second. So please give me a little bit of grace. See if you can give or dig or think a little deeper than what I'm going to say here. You see, my wife would be home managing the kids and I would come home and she would take care of the household in a, in a great place, right? The, the, the kitchen, the, the, the house, the, the groceries. I mean, she, she managed the household. Our kids were healthy and clean, brushed, good stuff. And I was not always the guy that said thank you. Right? Sometimes I just had a lot on my mind. I was managing a business. We were growing our company. Uh, things were happening. Didn't always say, oh, great job today. Thank you. But on the flip side, and here's where you may not like me. She never said every time she flipped a switch, hey, thank you for working hard. Look, the electricity worked. Oh, look at that. The, the, the debit card worked. How about that, Arif? Thank you for working hard. Oh, look, I started my car. Thanks for making the payment and putting gas. In. Right? Because as the man, you're thinking that look at what I've provided. Everybody needs to say thank you or be appreciative. Now, you're going to say, oh, Eric, not me. No, 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 no. I'm altruistic. No, no, no. I'm me, Pope. We're, we're about the same. So, you know, so not me. I'm just a giver. Eh, wrong answer. You're not. You're not that guy. All of us want to be thanked. And I can tell you, I didn't always do that because I just didn't think about it. Not until, well, maybe many years later till I, I got it that, wow, I, I need to say thank you. And the same thing for her. She... She would send us messages. Listen, I, I get the whole phone and text thing, but it's nice when you're not a great communicator, and many men are not, but you can still send a little text message to your daughter, to your son, to your wife, to your parents, right? It doesn't require you to cross that uncomfortable line, but you can still communicate something special. So listen, I'm a fan of those things. I, I think anything can be abused, but I like the idea that a guy who might be a little awkward in getting intimate with certain conversations can still be kind and nice via a message, right? Like writing a note. So here's why I share all that with you. Because here's an email. Let me get you his name, uh, Bill. And his wife is Jen. Probably Jennifer. She goes by Jen. Dear Arif, I've been working nearly my entire life. I'm 62 years old. And I think it's time to retire while both of us are still in great health. I'm worried about inflation, so I want to make sure I have a plan for that going forward. 
But my biggest concern is that my wife, age 60, she wants to still work. I did not get married 40 years ago so we could live separate lives in retirement. How can I convince her that we have enough money saved and we're going to be all right? I want her to retire the same time I do so we can travel together around the world. We want to visit our, uh, our four kids who live in two different states. She always has been concerned about our family's financial security and she is well informed. But here's my financial breakdown. Okay, I'm going to stop there. So you see what's happening is Bill wants to retire. Jen doesn't want to yet. Often because they, you feel a little bit out of control, right? If she raised four children, she probably doesn't have you know, a career that lasts forever because she did something better and called raising four kids. So she's counting on him a little bit, right? All right, so here's where it is. Here's the breakdown. So Bill says, here is my financial breakdown. I have a pension that has been reduced to utilize the spousal benefit, $3,200 a month with an annual 3% pay raise. Okay, so let me be clear on this. If it has an annual 3% pay raise, it's probably a city or county or government pension of some sort. Could be a school district. It could be a police fire. He doesn't say that part. But the 3% pay raise, that's the cap that a lot of financial, uh, a lot of, uh, what's the right term? Uh, Financial products out there, pensions, they cap the rate of return at 3%. And many of them have a banking system. Here's what I mean by that. If inflation is 2%, you get a 2% cost of living. If it's 4%, you get a 3% cost of living. But they take 1% and they put it in the bank. So the next year, if it's 2%, they will give you that one to true it up to three. Well, I think there's going to be so many extra percentages in the bank that you're going to get a 3% pay raise bill for, for many, many years to come. So we're going to count that in. It's going to be part of my little formula here as I look to see. Does $3,200 a month with a 3% pay raise. Now, her Social Security is about $1,200 a month, but at age 62. Remember, she's 60. So at age 62, we have to wait two years that he wants her to retire. She wants to maybe retire if she can feel comfortable. So my job is to say, do you have enough to make that uh, transition? Okay. Here's the next part I like. I like this next part a lot. I also have two rental houses that bring in about $4,000 a month net. Now, why does that matter? I'm pausing here again. Why does that matter, you guys? Because $4,000 a month, here's what I would count on when I'm looking at reliable retirement income. I would, I would use 10 months of that number. So I would say, here's an additional $40,000 a year that I can count on in your financial story. Now he goes, no, 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 Arif, we have an extra couple months. I go, that's great. That's great. That's gravy. That's money in the bank. That's off to the side. But when I build a little financial conversation with you, when we talk about this, I want to count only 40000 a year of that. And that gives me a little bit of cushion, right? Hey, you would be happier to say, surprise, look, our bank account has more than we thought. As opposed to the other way saying, we had a couple of months of vacancies between one, one house and the other, and we had some expenses. So you know what? We we made less than we did. Okay. My house is paid off as well. That's nice. His personal house is paid off and he has over $100,000 saved for emergencies in a savings account at a credit union. Well, I'm comfortable with that, guys. The minimum I'd like to see is 80000 85000 
Now you might say, gosh, Eric, I'm 50 years old. I don't have that. Wonderful. Well, that's a goal for us. Our goal is to start putting money into that account. Savings or access, liquidity, that matters a lot. I don't think you need a half a million dollars liquidity. I mean, maybe there's reasons to have that, but, but for most, most, most people, not even. 85, 100, yes, era of interest rates are point zero nothing. I get it. But what's the job of that money? Go back to the saying that I have. I should trademark it or, or tattoo it somewhere. I, <laughs> what is it? The purpose of your money depends on the place of your money. And the place of your money depends on the purpose of your money. If it's for emergencies, give me dollars. I need cash now. Well, surprise, that needs to be in the money, you know, your bank account with, that you can use a debit card or your purse or your pocket because that's for lunch today. Lunch today, right now, okay, I need money in the bank. Got it. I can swipe my card or the $20 in my pocket. What if you need a new roof on the house? Well, that's the savings account. You don't want to pull money from your retirement accounts to take a vacation. If you do that, you're going to pay one and a half times for that because you have to pay taxes on that money, right? We want to manage the tax story and use money for, for what it's supposed to be used for. All right. I love this. Continuing, uh, backing up here a bit. My house is paid off and I have $100,000 saved in, uh, for emergencies in a savings account at my credit union. Our retirement accounts total $1.6 million. Great job, Jen. Great job, Bill. I also have some stock and mutual funds that I inherited that I just leave alone. That totals about 230000 And here's his question. Any advice you can give me to set my wife's mind at ease? All right, Bill and Jen, here's what we do. And some of you are in this position. One of you wants to retire. Remember, I shared my, some of my personal story because I might say, hey, you know what? I am done. I am at age 62 and guys, I'm done working. For many men, they feel that way. They said, listen, I paid it. I gave, I paid the price. I did everything I'm supposed to do. It is time to go and, and live life while I'm still young. And this will happen a lot. When, I know it's going to sound kind of yucky, but when death comes close to home, co-workers, siblings, people that are younger than you, friends that pass away. You're like, oh my gosh, Joe seems so healthy. What happened? Right? So, so that kind of thing could cause you to flip a switch and say, you know what? I am done working. We have enough saved or we're willing to cut back or we're willing to, to make changes. All right. So here's my plan, Bill. You and Jen, and by the way, I'll call you on the phone or my, my staff will call you this week. And we'll set up a time to go over it specifically with you. I'm going to give you an overview because I think others might be in this position. So here's what I would do. First of all, to make sure you guys are on the same page, I have something called my three questions. And you guys can all write these down. I'll speak them slowly. But I think everybody needs to answer these, especially if you have a partner. But even if you don't, you need to know this. It'll help me guide you. Question number one, what would I do with $10 million? What would I do with $10 million? It's a big number. Some of you might have it, then, then change the number to $50 million. I want it to be out of reach just a little bit. What would I do with $10 million? Second question to answer. Describe your perfect day. Describe your perfect day. What does it look like? You wake up in the morning. Who are you with? What are you doing? Where are you going? All right, describe your perfect day. Third question, pretty important. 
I'll tell you what each of these do here in just a minute. Third question. How do you want to be remembered? How do you want to be remembered? How would you like to be remembered? First question is about money. Tell me, that's the thing you worked for. That's the, that's the exchange you made for time. Money comes and goes. Time, it's a one-way street. So that time that you exchange for dollars, let's talk about that. What about, that's your checkbook. What about your date book where you spend your time? That's your perfect day. I want to see what that's like. And then how you want to be remembered, that's our destination. So Bill, both of you do that and we'll make sure you're on the same page. Then I want to use life insurance as a backup because here's what's going to happen. In many cases, if not nearly all cases, we need to protect the social security income because here's what's going to happen. That $1,200 a month comes in as long as both of you are still alive. But when one of you passes away, you're going to lose that $1,200 a month in income. It goes away because you can't have a pension, most likely. And at the same time, have that pension and Social Security. You can't have both. There's rules the IRS has, the state of California has, cities, counties. So you will lose most, if not all, of that $1,200. The second part of that is your income tax rate. Right? Last year you were married, everything was fine. You filed married filing jointly. Now you have the same income or even a little bit less. And guess what? You're single. The single tax rates are nearly double what the married tax rates are. So I need a life insurance policy that's tax-free, especially if both of you are in the same are in good health, like you had mentioned. I need a life insurance policy that's tax-free. It protects the loss of Social Security. And it sounds like that government pension, that 3% giveaway, that's nice. We're going to get a little bit of an increase each and every year. But what if inflation is 5 6 7%? Well, if that's what they're going to report, well, we know then it's more than that. You understand that, right? It's never what they say. You're going you're gonna to look at it and say, well, you know, that's nice, but in California, our gas is much higher or our property tax here has all sorts of phony little things inside of it. So it's a lot more than whatever percentage they're going to say. That's right. The life insurance policy is a tax-free event. And if both of you stay alive and you're age 65, 70, 75, 80, and you need long-term care, we can... Uh, we can attack, if you will, we can uh, pull money out of that life insurance policy tax-free to address some of your critical and chronic illness. Okay, so that's important. We want that feature in whatever policy we're going to use. But what about your savings? 1.6 million. By the way, bravo to you. Great job. That means you had a lot of sacrifices in the last 30, 40 years of working. So the 1.6 million, of course, you're going to say, oh, Eric, I could have had more. Oh, I made mistakes. Everybody thinks that. I get it. But we have this. So let's just play pretend for a minute. Maybe I would put $500,000 in an account whose only job is to grow for over 10 years. That is an account we're not going to touch. It's there. Its job is we'll see you in 10 years and 10 minutes or when somebody passes away. Maybe we'll need it in 11 years, 12 years, 14 years. But if everything goes according to plan, both of you live, you're strong, you're healthy, the pension is good, inflation gets back under control, this $500,000 job is to shoot it off into the future and to leave it as kind of a plan C, a backup plan to a backup plan. All right? That's what I would do with one account. Still accessible. You want 50 grand next year, you can take it out. 
Give me $50,000. Here you go. So there still is a liquidity option to it. But I do want you to have something that is off far enough in the future. And if both of you pass away, it goes to your kids anyway, or whoever you want as your beneficiaries. All right, here's important as well. This, I want 750000 in a shorter term account, something we can begin income, a monthly stream of income, let's say 1500 $1,800, maybe even $2,000 a month, but beginning any time after the first month, two months, we can put it in, start income, right? That's important. If we can do that, if we can lay it out, that's 750000 that gives us fifteen, eighteen hundred, maybe two thousand dollars a month. Guess how much the social security loss would be? Yep, twelve hundred. There you go. And what about the rest of the money? Well, Bill, I'd, I'd like to set it aside in a CD at a credit union, right? That might be, I don't know, three or four hundred thousand dollars. I'd, I'd put it into maybe two different CDs, maybe even two different credit unions. And what is that for? That's our plan D, as in David, right? That's far enough down the road where all heck breaks loose. You need it because the kids are in trouble. Um, cr- uh, critical illness, chronic illness, we have plans for that. But what if it's really bad and we need home health, hospice care, on and on? We can utilize the life insurance for the long-term care. We can use these accounts for some of the long-term care. But that plan CD account, right, off to the future, that's just another little bit of peace of mind. So the big picture is when I'm taking a look at this and I'm looking at what you and your wife have set aside, Jennifer, if I can speak directly to you, I'm going to tell you, you have more than enough money to live the way that you're living and to be comfortable, to pay all your bills, to travel. I even built in a little cushion there that I'll tell you guys in person. So can you retire financially speaking? Absolutely. Now there's an emotional component to retirement. And you guys have to be aware of that. That's what my three questions were all about, right? What would you do with $10 million? Describe your perfect day. And how would you like to be remembered? Right? That the emotional component about retirement means, I don't want to say something has died, but, but, but something has died. I mean, we, we're done with that part of our life. It's like when your last child is married or moves away and you go, you look at each other and you go, now what? We have a big house. We're finally financially secure and the kids are gone. What do we do? So I want you to have in your life the emotional understanding that's going to happen in retirement. So that's a different story. We can help with that. We'll go through some of the things that I've seen work with our clients and people that we know. And by doing that, you guys can have the next 20 years, 10, 15, 20 of your life in a comfortable, comfortable scenario. Let me give you my email address, arif at tfswealth.com, arif, A-R-I-F, at tfswealth.com. Reach out to me if you can. Uh, If it's something that's common enough, I'm going to read it on the air. Wait till you find out our next email because this is something I am seeing more and more of. And in 27 years of, of practice, near 27 years, I have not found this to be the case until just recently. So when we get through this, I think you'll have a chance to see. And I think when they say culture war, remember Bill O'Reilly used to say culture war and everybody would call BS on him. Turns out he's right, isn't it? Turns out he was 100% correct that they are coming after you, your values, what you call important, and they're trying to take away those things. So there are some things you can do in retirement to, to fix that. You're the one with the money. You're the one with the time. Purpose is everything. 
when we come back. I'll address our next email from Ellen when we get back. Total Financial Hour. I'm Eric Halaby. Triple Eight Ninety Nine Retire on AM Eight Seventy. The answer. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Halaby. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now Arab has a plan for me. Hey, welcome back. Talking about your family's finances, of course, getting out of debt, managing money, planning for the future. I love it. We are here to help. We make a difference. At least we try to make a difference, right? Or I should say we do our best to make a difference. Trying is for losers. Doing their best is for winners. At least I learned that early on because everybody wants to try, right? You can have a whole room of people. Who wants to be a millionaire? Yeah. And, and everybody raises their hand. Yeah, yeah. Who wants to have a great relationship with their wife or husband? Yeah, yeah. Everybody raises their hand. Okay, now, who's willing to you know, work six days, sometimes seven days a week? Uh, who's willing to sleep in their car, maybe, if you have to? Who's willing to... Oh, hands start to drop, don't they? Who's willing to actually uh, be quiet and listen to your spouse uh, and make the corrections that are needed? Oh, hands start to drop. Right, by the time they're done... Who wants to do whatever? There just isn't enough people to, to actually say, and I want to be that guy. Because it's hard. It's hard to work, make a, make a difference, create wealth, make, a, make changes, become that person who goes out and builds a, a relationship with their family and friends and all of those things. It's not easy. So how do we create it in your financial life so that you and your husband or your wife, your, your significant other, your partner, how do we make it so that you guys are on the same page? We just had a, a couple uh, partners out of the Bay Area. They said, we're out of here. They moved to Portugal, of all places. Bought a house up in, I want to say it's close to Porto, Portugal, up in the kind of the north, right on the sea, really close to the ocean. They, they bought it for such a low income, uh, for, for a low price comparatively to what they sold their home for up in uh, San Jose. Made a great profit on it, lived there, and said, oh, by the way, Eric, there's a lot of people here. We have other family, friends, other people moving here. And so what do I see this week? A story. Portugal is upset that Californians are moving there in droves and raising the price of real estate. in <laughs> Portugal? They singled out California, really? Like, what is it? Pick on California? Texas, Idaho, Nevada. Everybody hates Californians. Listen, you have a responsibility just like my dad told us when my wife and I would travel a lot internationally before the reaction to COVID shut down stuff. And I want to encourage you guys to use that terminology. It's not COVID that did anything. It's the reaction to COVID. Spinal meningitis is worse. Have you ever seen people die from that? I have. That's ugly. But the reaction to COVID is what shut down the U.S. economy and the world economy and created a rise of dictatorship and fascism. You'll see it. We're in the middle of it. But before the reaction to COVID, we would travel to Europe. We traveled to different places for work. And my dad worked for the airlines, so we always got great discounts. And he would say this, you're going as a representative of the United States, not just our family. 
He was always clear about that. Our family name, our business, uh, always traced back to our family name. Make sure that you understand how hard we work to maintain integrity and do the right thing. I understand the error if you're going to make mistakes, but don't forget you're carrying generations on your shoulders. So make sure you're careful. Well, when we would travel internationally, he'd say, listen, make sure you understand that you're an American. Be kind and not be this, quote, ugly American. Don't be this demanding person. Be somebody who says please and thank you and give tips where it's appropriate and don't give tips in other places, right? It's insulting to give tips in certain places or in, in Europe. You understand that? You might say, great, the cheapskating, you just high-fived your wife. See that? I told you, honey. I didn't want to insult the guy. <laughs> But when it comes to representing others and the other Americans when you're in other parts of the world, remember that, okay? Because maybe you're going to start traveling again. But here's where it also comes to play. You're a Californian and you're visiting down in Texas or Florida, especially if you're driving your own car. Maybe you drive to Idaho or Utah or Arizona, Nevada from, from here and you have California plates. Be ultra sensitive and ultra kind. Let people pull in front of you when they, they realize they had to make a left turn instead of a right turn. Don't be a jerk, right? Because now you're carrying the weight of other Californians on your back. And when you go in, I have a friend who's in Southern Utah and they walk, you know, they walk on uh, uh, and bike paths and they're, they are, they're outdoors or hiking all the time. And she said uh, they were walking by somebody. There was a couple in front of them and they were walking and Another couple was passing them, right? So two couples going one direction, maybe 10, 15 feet apart, and one couple coming the other direction. The couple in front of our friend turned and said, hey, good morning, how are you guys? And those people didn't answer. They didn't say a word. And so as they passed, my friend heard the lady in front of her tell the person next to her, those people must be from California because they, weren't, they didn't say hello. They weren't kind. So please, go a little bit above and beyond. I don't know if they were from California. Nobody checked their ID. But you better ask yourself, what kind of reputation are we getting? Especially if you're going to be a California refugee. Right? A, a friend of mine had a t-shirt in Texas. He goes, remember, you're a refugee, not a missionary. If you're from California, don't come here to spread the stuff that you didn't like. I thought that was funny. All right. Here's another part. This is a great email. And why I shared this as a great email, because what am I finding? That a lot of the ladies, and I will tell you this, okay? I'm going to tell you this is my experience. You can take it or leave it. You can say more or less. But here's my experience. That the women that come into my office that are single, never married, never had children, that are professionals, uh, dentists, doctors, professors, engineers, uh, sales and pharmaceutical sales. I'm trying to just go over some in my mind that's come across. Uh, lab technicians, uh, uh, managers and operators of labs of universities and, and um, research facilities. Okay, high-level people, big-income people. Never married, no kids. To a person, they regret not having children and not getting married. To a person, they said, Arif, I bought the lies of the 60s and 70s feminist movement that said, one, I could have it all, or two, nobody needs a man, nobody needs kids, kids are a draw back to your career, careers can be just as fulfilling, and on and on and on. Now, 
I didn't grow up that way. I grew up that the value of somebody who works in the house is just as much as the person who works outside of the house. I grew up where my wife doesn't have a nine to five job. She has a nine to nine job because she's sleeping the rest of the time. Otherwise, she's not working. Right. There's no such thing as a holiday weekend, Martin Luther King, Christmas, New Year's Day off. There's none of that when you're a mom or a person who stays at home. Right. So so that's how I grew up. But apparently others grew up in a very liberal society. And here are the ladies come to my office. They're in their 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s. And they said, well, you know, if I never had children. Some are school teachers, in fact. I remember just a few a few recently that are school teachers. So kind of think about that, right? That to a person, now some of them are not going to dwell on it, right? You shouldn't. You can't do anything about it. But when really asked deeply, they'll go, oh, you know, it was kind of a bummer. I wish I would have taken that route. Okay. But we still have to take care of you, don't we? There are some men like that too. Or, or were married and their wife passed away or they divorced at an early age and now it's over. Now they have to figure out how to manage, financially speaking, with one income. The man, the woman, all of us do. So here's a, an email from Ellen. I'm sharing this with you, the, the background, because I'm seeing this more and more and I want you to, to kind of relate to this and think about it and realize, yes, believe it or not, there is a solution. So here's the email. Dear Eric, I'm a single lady who just retired after nearly 40 years of teaching. I'm a, I am 66 years old and have no children. My home is paid for and I have a good pension, about $6,300 a month. My TSA, which is a tax-sheltered annuity, I'm breaking for just a second. TSA, it's also called a 403B. All right, so for those of you that work in a for-profit company, your retirement plan at work is called a 401K. If you work for the city, county, state, yours is called a 457. If you work for uh, the federal government, yours is called a Thrift Savings Plan, TSP. All right. So if you work for a nonprofit, school district, hospital, or research facility, yours is called a TSA, right? Also known as a tax-sheltered annuity or TSA. So that's the case with Ellen. My TSA has over $1 million. I want to have this for my healthcare needs later as the income is more than enough that I have that I currently have to live on each month. Big issue. I'm going to pause there. So her income, $6,300 a month, is more than enough for her to live on each month. What she doesn't say in the email is what her bills are each month. But she does say she has more than $200,000 sitting in her savings account. That's Remember, what did I tell you? That's a lot of money for emergencies. So I'm okay with that. I, I'd even say it's probably too much. But for the short term, it's not the big problem that I need to solve. What I do need to solve is this. I need to make sure that her long-term care, her health needs, because she doesn't have children that are going to care for her or a spouse that'll care for her. It's up to her. So you buy that help, right? You can buy a home health care nurse or buy uh, a place to, to go, a facility where somebody can come and care for you or you can go and be cared for. All right, so what do we do? Well, we would use products that have what's called a long-term care doubler in income. Meaning, I would probably take most of that $1 million, maybe eight or 900000 something like that. And I would put it into an account, a fixed indexed annuity, 
that has income availability that accelerates when there's a critical or a chronic illness event, like a long-term care. So let's talk about long-term care. Long-term care insurance by itself is very expensive. If you walk in to say, I want to buy a long-term care policy and you're 60 years old, 70 years, it's, it's very expensive. It's going to be difficult for people. And most of them are use it or lose it. Meaning if you don't use it, all the money you put in is gone. Similar to your car insurance. Hey, you didn't crash your car last year. No problem. We're not going to give you the money back. Thank you for, for giving it to us. But there are products that we can get that we can do a lump sum purchase, right? We can, we can buy a long-term care policy using a life insurance chassis or a retirement income or account chassis so that you receive both of those things. Retirement income, if you don't die, great. We have long-term care if we need it, if it's medical. We have both options. And here's what's an important part of it now. We might even begin accelerating some of the taxable income. I might say, listen, let's, let's meet with your CPA, your tax preparer, and say, how much extra can she take out of this $1 million each and every month or year that we can use to put it into tax-free money forever? So today we have lower income taxes because the, the, the Trump tax bill expires in 2026. So we have about four years left to make some big moves, make some changes, to really increase our benefits later on down the road. And believe it or not, if we do that for four or five years, we could use an index universal life insurance policy. I know it's a little bit detailed, a little bit yucky, but in, in the conversation part of it, but just think of it. There's an insurance policy that we can buy that we can use for income, that if we take out money through, through the tax loan provision, the, the tax-free loan provision, we can use it if we are alive and we need long-term care of it, give me more money, got it. Or we can use it if we pass away, worst case scenario, somebody still receives it. And I want to go over that here in just a second because the second half of our question really addresses that. So Ellen, here's the idea, right? Here's what I would do. If you need it for healthcare uh, needs later, we have the ability to do this through a tax-free mechanism. You can hire people to come to your house. And believe it or not, it's your doctors, your doctors that complete the assessment, sign the paperwork. We don't send you to some um, uh, you know, third-party doctor that you got to go see in downtown, wherever, and it's a you know, in a yucky building. No, 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 none of that. Not a greed medical examiner, none of the normal, what you might call healthcare assessments. This is your physician that knows you well, who says, yes, she needs help walking or feeding herself or getting out of bed or walking down the street. You know, she can, yeah, you need that. Okay, guys, here's the important part. Ready for this? Her next question, and it's going to come up for some of you big time. Ready? My next, here's, here's Ellen's continue second half of her email. My next big concern is I don't really have any beneficiaries. Any ideas on who I can leave this account to after I die? Right, all of you are going to raise your hand and, well, look, the phones are lighting up now. <laughs> I think some of you know the story of, of a lady that phoned me. She's a, a listener a couple of years ago. And she said, Eric, you know, I've had this financial guy for many years. Is this... But I think something has changed. I go, okay, well, what are you talking about? She said, well, he keeps intimating because she doesn't have any other beneficiaries after her and 
her family member passes away. She said, is it weird that the financial advisor wants to be my beneficiary? I said, no, 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 ma'am. It's not weird. It's illegal. And not only is it (laughs) illegal, it's unethical and everything else that you can think of. Now, you guys need to know. You might have a mom or a sister or cousin, an aunt or a grandparent, somebody. You need to make sure their financial advisor and their team or financial professional, whoever's involved, banker for that matter, you need to make sure that the beneficiaries are who that person wants and it doesn't end up being some person off to the side. Anybody in our industry who thinks that, that that's the, the secret Right is for us to go out and, and become the, to be the beneficiary. Uh, jail time, maybe? Can you say that? Right, coercion, elder abuse. I mean, there's a lot of other things we can get into. But please, make sure you understand that it is not your financial professional, your lawyer, your CPA. Now, if that person is also your cousin, okay, well, that's a different story. Your brother, your sister, all right, we can talk about it. But I don't want you to you know, find a charity. So here's where I, I want to go with this. I want to finish her second half of her email. I want to give you some ideas because I think this is helpful. Any ideas on where I can leave this money? Okay, here's what she says. I'm a conservative and I'm really saddened about what is happening to our schools. Remember, she's been a teacher for 40 years. I'm really saddened at what's happening to our schools. Do you know any charities that fight the politi- politicization and indoctrination of our public schools and their students? Okay, that's the end of her email. I'm going to share with you kind of the obvious, maybe even the elephant in the room, if you will, because I think a lot of you take it for granted. Some of you might know a gentleman by the name of Dennis Prager. Yes. I want to really encourage you to go to PragerU. The the influence that Prager University and all of the the children's programs and the the short stories and the, the books and coloring books and everything down the road that they do. Now, I'll be clear on two things. One, they don't pay me for any of this. Two, I do give my own money to Prager University. My wife and I do. We have for quite a long time. And three, I utilize their videos all the time. I love them. I watch them. They're five-minute videos. Whoa, I didn't know that. Oh, that's interesting. When I mentor young people, and I do pretty regularly, I have those mentor, uh, those mentees, those, those people, those young people, they have to, guess what, watch those videos on the subject matter in which we're trying to guide them on. Because I think it gives the appropriate perspective, not the perfection of America. Don't be silly. Nobody ever says we're perfect. We just choose to focus on what? The good and greatness of America. Think about this for just a second. right? When you walk through a rose garden and you see roses everywhere and they're blooming and it's very well-maintained and and irrigated and fertilized and it's just a beautiful garden. Boy, look at that rose garden. And you walk through and I walk through. We can look at different things. One person can see the roses and smell the beauty just from the roses, right? The other person can smell the manure and choose to focus on that. Of course, there's good and bad in everything. In you, there's good and bad. Mr. and Mrs. Limousine Liberal Arrogant person, guilt-ridden Al Gore, right? Whose house uses more electricity uh, than the next town over? Literally, guys. 
right? I get your arrogance and your, your desire to hate America that in, in 10 or 12 years, it's falling apart. Remember they said that? Remember? They did that in the 80s. They did that in the 90s. They did it in 2000. We're supposed to be uh, you know, falling into the ocean five times by now. I don't believe them anymore. They've cried wolf not once or twice, but five, six, seven times. It's over. The science does not back up their story. And so, do you want to focus on the hate of America or you want to combat? So, Ellen, what I would say is find an organization like Prager University. Again, I don't, I'm not a, paid by them. It's, this is not a, an advertisement. I support them because I believe in them. And I need to make sure, and this is, frankly, this is me, guys, right? You know the industry I'm in. You know my name when I attach it to something. I told you it isn't just me. It's, it's I hear my dad in my ears talking to me. And so when I spoke to Dennis about this, I said, what's the plan if something were to happen to you? Right? He's in his early 70s, but God doesn't, you know, only knows when, how long we're going to be here. Is Prager you die with you? Can it last forever? What's our story here? And I was comfortable, well, more than comfortable to continue to add, to give them money in the contingency plan, if you will, God willing, 20 years from now, 30 years from now. But the plan for Prager University to continue, that matters a lot. Because when you go online and you do, do a deep dive, you're going to see, quote, the diversity. But you're going to see real diversity, diversity of thought. You're going to see ideas. You're going to see a, a place to maybe put money. So I want you to consider that. Second, if it's about school, right? If it's about education, Turning Point USA is a great place to put money, Ellen. Turning Point USA is Charlie Kirk's organization. They're a well-run machine. They're well-oiled. They're in place in numerous campuses across this country. And their goal is to do what the left has done for a long time and what the left has figured out, which is go after people when they're young and influential or influence, right? Because this is what matters. The kids can't move. Can you imagine if you're trying to give a lecture to your children and you can force them to sit in that room while you yell at them about whatever, right? You can make that happen. You can make it to where you're sitting there and your kids have to listen for an hour or 55 minutes, whatever the school's thing, five days a week, and they have to listen to why they should eat their vegetables or why they should keep their room clean, right? And it's not once or twice, it's five days a week, it's 180 days a year, and on and on. Can you imagine? Well, the left figured it out. That's why they went to schools, to school unions. So PragerU has figured it out. Turning Point USA has figured it out. You can do research. You can go online, Ellen, and figure out some of the best conservative causes that attack this. But I want to encourage you this as we finish up the program. More important than ever, you're 66 years old. You have incredible skills. Why? Well, I say that because you were there for 40 years. And you were able to, as a conservative, still communicate a message, hopefully of fairness and decency. I don't want you to let that dip away. Run for a school board, maybe for three or four years. You don't have to do it forever. Run for a school board uh, administrator. Maybe, maybe take that job. Maybe get in there and volunteer somewhere where you're 40 years of experience and now you're not worried because your pension's going to come in, come heck or high water. I've got a plan for some of that million dollars. I'd put six, seven hundred, eight hundred thousand off to the side. No matter what, your money will come in. Nobody can take it away from you or fire you. 
Because now, Ellen, your life has a purpose that is bigger than when you were teaching. It's about changing the direction of a society. So I want you to think about that. Purpose is more important. The money, you've got it. It's cared for. Beneficiaries, think about making a difference after you guys pass away. Right? It matters. Thanks for being a part of the show. I'm Arif. Arif Halaby on the Total Financial Hour. This is AM870, The Answer. Every week at this time, your family's finances. 888-99-RETIRE. Reliable retirement income. If you want it, give us a call. 888-99-RETIRE. Have a great day. Retire comfortably Thanks to Arif Halaby Now every dollar's got a job to do Arif makes your money work for you Learn about financial power The Total Financial Hour The Total Financial Hour was sponsored by TFS Financial Insurance Services and Total Financial Solutions, Inc. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.